0: Genesis chapter 15, let's start in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, uh, uh, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said to him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said to him, Take me and a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took to him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. When the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And they shall go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity, the Amorites, is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. I'm going to ask Brother Tony Powell to lead us in prayer this morning as we come. Amen. You may be seated. We know as Christians that we are supposed to live daily by faith. We're supposed to walk by faith. Everything we do in the Christian life is supposed to be motivated by faith and done in faith. But we also know that Satan is going to attack our faith, try to get us to doubt, try to discourage us. And we see this in the life of Abraham. He's 85 years old. He's still childless. And he wants to hear from God once again, that he's still going to be the father of a great nation. He's still going to inherit this piece of property. And he comes to God and asks him again, could you give me a sign? Could you just confirm our pact? God says, I want you to take a heifer of three years old, a goat and a ram at three years old, a turtle dove and a pigeon, and I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a pact with you so Abraham does that but God delays in coming and in that delay the buzzards come and they want to feed on the flesh that's been laying there in the hot sun all day and Abraham has to pick up a stick and beat away the buzzards and at some point he's so weary uh, the day's end of the night falls I can imagine being out there in the middle of nowhere beating away buzzards and at the end of the day here, comes the night, he's weary, he's worn out, and he faints. But that doesn't keep God from keeping his pact. And God passes through and makes a covenant with Abraham. But I want you to see from the very start of this chapter, Abraham had to deal with buzzards. And I want you to know, as a Christian, you should not be surprised when your faith is attacked. You shouldn't be surprised when you make a decision to live by faith. And suddenly, it's, it's more of a mental attack, an emotional attack, a spiritual attack, and usually it's a daily attack. Now, if you don't determine to live by faith, you're not going to have to worry that much about being spiritually attacked. But if you decide, I want to please God, we know it's faith that pleases God, be careful because as soon as you take those steps, you will come under a satanic attack. You will have to deal with buzzers. Now look at the first verse in this chapter. It starts with these words after these things. After what things? Chapter 14 tells us the story of a coalition of kings that rose up against the king of Sodom and defeated him and his army and his coalition of kings, and they took Lot captive. Now when Abraham heard this, imagine he is not a man of war. He has a great band of servants. He gathers them together. He arms them. I would have liked to have seen what he armed them with. Can you imagine the homemade tools and weapons that they came up with? So this band of 318, they go out in the middle of the night. They pursue this army. They uh, surprise attack them and actually defeat them. Recover the spoil. They free Lot. And Abraham comes home with his army of weary servants, 318 and all. He lays his head upon his pillow, if he had one, and he begins to toss and turn. Uh, and the next thing you know, panic sets in. Now I want you to think about his present state. He's what, thinking, what in the world was I thinking? What did I do? I just took a bunch of ragtag servants. Took on an army, a coalition of four kings with trained soldiers. When they realize what happened, when they realize we took their spoil, when they realize that we're not soldiers at all, we can't defend our possessions, we can't defend our wives, we can't defend ourselves. When they realize that, they're going to come back and seek revenge. And he's tossing and turning. Now, You better be careful because if you decide to live by faith or take a step by faith, the next thing you know, human reasoning and logic, that buzzard that we call logic, logic is the enemy of faith. Because faith is not logical. Uh, There's very little in the Word of God that is logical. Tithing, giving to missions telling people about Jesus Christ, helping others, making sacrifices. None of what we read in this book is very logical. And what Abraham did, he did by faith. I believe he prayed about it. I believe he was led of God. I believe he did the right thing. But once he did it, once he stepped out, he looked back and said, boy, I don't know if that was really smart. How Have you ever taken a step by faith? watch new Christians they decide to start tithing they decide to get involved in missions they decide to show up saturday for soul winning they decide to start passing out tracts they decide to start praying and reading their bible they decide to get involved in a ministry but it only takes about 2 or 3 steps in when logic kicks in and they say boy i'm not prepared for ministry i don't think you know knocking on a door and opening my bible witnessing to someone that doesn't make sense Praying, if God already knows everything, knows all my needs, why in the world should I get out of my knees and pray to someone that already knows what I need? Have you ever had logic undermine your faith? See, tossed and turned, look what happened. The word of the Lord came unto Abram. You know the best thing to do when your faith is attacked, go back to the word of of the Lord, it solves the problem, it settles the doubt, and the Word of God comes to Abraham in a vision, saying, "Fear not." Now, here's another buzz that'll attack your faith: fear. I'm amazed how many Christians live in fear. The Bible does say in 2 Timothy one seven, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and a sound mind." Now. The two fears that Abraham was dealing with, the same fears that we're dealing with thousands of years later. You know what they are? Safety and wealth. Still thinking about the same thing. Here's what God tells him. Abram, I am thy shield. You don't need to toss and turn. You don't need to worry. You don't need to sweat. You don't need to live concerned or lose any sleep. This army is not going to be able to do anything to you because I am your shield. You know what? I'm not against insurance and I'm not against everything you can do to protect your home and to protect your family, but safety is still of the Lord and we are so caught up in this society. Be careful because fear promotes sales. And, boy, we we have everything from health insurance and life insurance and ADT security and all these things to protect ourselves and our family when the bottom line is you better understand that ultimately safety is of the Lord and God must be your shield. Because speaking in human terms, human reasoning and logic gets involved here, he should have or would have gotten up, rearmed his soldiers, put sentries at every corner of the property, put all the ladies out there in a cave, protected the children and said, for the next few months, we better be very, very careful because it's very likely there'll be a counterattack and many of us will be slaughtered. He could have lived with high blood pressure, his nerves on edge, if he would have been the average Christian, he would have walked around with bloodshot eyes for the next two months, concerned about what was going to happen because he had taken a step or two by faith. I can tell you how many Christians live in constant fear. I know people who walk around constantly, every ache, every pain, every problem. It's the worst. They already know it. Tragedy's about ready to strike. Bad's about ready to happen. They can't avoid it. God doesn't want you living that way. And here's what God told Abram, I am thy shield, Abram. The only way you're going to rest, the only way you're going to lay your head down on your pillow and get some sleep tonight is to understand ultimately, I am your shield. But there was another problem. Go back to the previous chapter and look what happens when he had freed those men from their captors. He talks to the king of Sodom, and look what happens. Verse 21, the king of Sodom says to Abraham, give me the persons, and you take the goods to thyself. All that spoil that he had just captured, the king of Sodom says, you go ahead and keep that. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread, even a shoelatch it, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Now, you've got to understand this offer for a minute. We're talking about the wealth of the city, and Abram turned it down, the silver and the gold, the goods and the garments, everything there, the animals, the horses, the finest that they had taken of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, Abram, this is yours to have. And Abram said, I don't even want a shoe latchet. Goodbye. It's God that is my provider. I don't want anybody to say that some heathen king made me rich. And he walked away from all of that. But when he put his head on that pillow that night, he said, good night. I just gave away my 401k. <laughs> what was I thinking? There goes my savings account. How many of you have ever been involved in something? God got a hold of your heart and told you to give something you had no intention of giving. And about the time you gave it, you felt good about it. But a day later, 24 hours later, you're sitting down at the table. You look over your wife. She looks over you. And you both at the same time say, what did we just do? This is the generation. It's eaten up. By the fear, because of everything that we see and hear on TV, because we haven't raised our children, right? Because we know our grandchildren are going to be a disaster. We know when we are old, our only hope is what we've saved up because there ain't no one on the planet that's going to take care of me. That's why you ought to be concerned about rearing your children properly. Here's what Abram said. He said, wow, I'm 85. This is the time to be thinking about my retirement program. This is time to be thinking about stocks and bonds and investments. And this is the generation, listen, that has all of those things. They have a 401k. They have savings. They have stocks. They have bonds. They have all these investments. And yet still they don't have enough because society has told them you can never have enough in your old age save it all, keep it all, put it in a can, sit on the can, don't let anybody touch the can. You're going to need every dime of that when you're old. You know how much you can enjoy that when you're 75. You know what you need to do for your old age? You know what the best retirement program is? You buy yourself the fanciest recliner, the fanciest rocker that you can possibly get. Put a big deck on the back of your house. Don't buy some big major mobile home because the likelihood that you'll ever use that unless you retire when you're 50, the likelihood that you want to drive around and spend the next five years on the road. I watch these people that turn 70 and the only thing they do when they get out is desire to get back to the house. I'm going to save up a million dollars so when I get old my kids can fight over it. You know what you ought to do? You ought to take some of that million dollars and go take a vacation. If I were you, I'd start spending your kid's inheritance right now. (laughs) Before they get their grimy hands on it. Amen. All that's going to do is make them enemies. They'll fuss and fight. And the government will get half of it anyways. The word of the Lord came, said, Fear not, I am thy shield, Abraham. I am thy exceeding great reward. You know what? That's not sufficient. Christ isn't sufficient. God's not sufficient. The fact that he saved us, the fact that he indwells us, the fact that he helps us, the fact that he comforts us, the fact that he guides us, that's not enough. I want something greater than that. And he said, Abram, you gave all that away, but listen, I will be your protector. I will be your provider. And Abraham said, Lord, God, I just have one question. What will thou give me seeing I go childless? Now, you have to understand several things. This doesn't mean that Abram was faithless. Did you know faith, in order to have faith, there has to be the existence of doubt? Otherwise, it's not faith. If you can understand it, if you can see it, it's not faith anyways. That means it has to be improbable or nearly impossible You look around with a little bit of doubt, look up to heaven, say that there is an almighty God. He can take care of this problem. He can help me. This is the first time we see Adonai in the scriptures. Lord, God, he is saying, recognizing God as the owner, the master, the sovereign Lord. Now, if he did not recognize God, as the sovereign owner and master of the universe, this would have been a silly request. Can you imagine an 85-year-old going to a doctor and saying, what can they do for me seeing I go childless? And the doctor would say, nothing. What can you do for us seeing my wife has been barren? How can you help me? you understand? Abraham asks this question because he's talking not just to the creator, but to the master, to the sovereign God of the universe. And he says, I'm childless. Now, you've got to understand in this. He'd been waiting a long time. Now, I know he had just left Haran 10 years ago, but when he left Ur, he might have been 50 years old. At this point, he may have already waited on God to fulfill this promise for at least 25, 30, maybe 35 years. And at the beginning, can you imagine when the word of the Lord first came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to make of you a great nation. He thought, like most of us think, this is going to happen immediately. So there was great anticipation. You say, was there baby stores back then? I have no clue. But if there were a baby store back then, he went straight to the baby store with his wife. That's what happens when you haven't had a child. You've already waited 40, 50 years. And God Almighty says, I'm going to give you a child. And Sarah, can you imagine the embarrassment of Sarah? Because a woman cannot keep that kind of secret. So she is telling her friends, at least her closest friends and family, I'm going to have a baby. The longer they wait, I'm sure the more frustration Sarah is feeling because she's saying, God, you have promised me a child. Go back with me to Romans chapter 4 because here's what the Bible says about Abram's faith. There's not desperation here. Abram for years and years obeyed God, did right Convinced that at some point God was going to keep his promise and give him a child. But look what it says. Romans chapter 4 verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations... According to that which was spoken, so should I see be. He being not weak in faith. Will you read this and say, well, pastor, surely there's a discrepancy because we see weakness here. But the Bible says he being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. That's why he refers to God as Adonai, Lord God, what will thou give me? He said, God, if you would show me a sign, if you'd reconfirm your pact, if you would just tell me once again, just tell it to me and I know... Of a surety that you'll keep your promise. So, what's it say in verse 4? Behold, the word of the Lord came again unto him, saying, Eleazar of Damascus, your servant, this man shall not be thine heir. And then in verse 5, look what God says to Abraham. He says, Abraham, let's go take a walk. He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars. You have to remember this. He wasn't living in the city. He's living out there in the middle of nowhere. So he can see clearly all the stars in the heavens. And God said, Abram, I want you to do me a favor. Count. Find the biggest one out there and start from there. And after he hit about 86,000, he said, Abram, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? I'm going to make your seed like the stars of the heaven. I'm going to keep your promise. Now, here's what I like. In verse 6, it says, Abraham believed. Look at the wording. Not the promise that the Lord had given him, but it says he believed in the Lord, the one making the promise. How many of you have ever heard someone promise you something, but you knew the source of the promise? So you considered the source and said, I doubt that's going to happen. How many of you ever done that? How many of you have people that make you promise you bank on it? You know, it's a guarantee. My son told me when he was a child growing up, 8, 10, 12, he liked Hummers. And he said, Dad, you know what I'm going to do when I get big? I'm going to buy you a Hummer. And I considered this horse. (laughs) I'm not counting on a Hummer. You say, preacher, what do you think about the gas mileage? Would you want to drive a Hummer? I'm not even going to consider it, considering the source of that promise was a 10-year-old boy that was broke and penniless, and he doesn't have high-earning potential. I doubt I ever see that Hummer, and if he buys me that 2001 Hummer, it'll probably be in 2041, (laughs) and I won't want it. But here's what Abram did. He didn't just consider the promise, but he considered the source of the promise. He believed not in the promise, but he believed in the Lord and said, God is good. He can cover that promise. He can keep his word. He's the one that can provide a son for me despite the fact that I'm 85. And here's what God says. God said, I am sovereign. I am the Lord. I am the owner, the master. That brought thee out of Ur. He said, remember, Amor, I'm the one that called you. I'm the one that gave you the grace, the strength. I'm the one that has provided for you, met your every need. I just protected you from four kings, helped you defeat them. You recaptured Lot. Verse 8. So he says, Lord, whereby shall I know that I'm going to inherit this piece of land and have the seed that will be the... Seed of a great nation, verse 9, here's what God tells him to do. He says to Abraham, take me and heifer. Now, I love this command. Here's why. God didn't have to get down on Abraham's level. God said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you this land, and he would follow through on his promise. He could have left it at that. But when he said, go get a heifer, Abram knew what was going to happen next because back then in these times, when they made covenants, it always included the sacrifice of an animal. So God said, Abram, I'm going to get down on your level. I'm going to make a sacred vow, a sacred promise, a covenant, a pact to you. He said, I want you to go get a heifer, three years old. Now, here's what I do like you know, when God gives us a command, here's what faith is about. Not understanding its simple obedience, and the average Christian wants to understand every detail, be able to sort out in his mind exactly why God said it and exactly how, where, when, and what. Why do you say I have for three years old? Not two years old, not four, not two and a half, not two and three quarter A she-goat of three years, a ram of three years, and Abram never even asked a question. He simply went, got the animals. Why these animals? Why a turtle dove? Why a young pigeon? Because that's what God wanted. And he obeyed, and he said, God's going to make a pact with me. Now, it's hard for us to understand, because in this day and age, Pacts and promises mean very little. Even something as sacred as a marriage pact or covenant means very little in this day and age because divorce is so rampant and everyone knows. Oh, we went to the justice of a peace and we made solemn vows and we signed a piece of paper and it was notarized and authorized. But all the same, if I change my mind, I can get out of this covenant. It's not the way it was back then. These were lifetime packs. This was a blood covenant. And they would take these animals, they divide them in two and create a path where the two that were making a covenant would walk together stating the details of that covenant. When they walked together, they were saying, we're closer together than the left side and the right side of this animal. And they were also saying... As it was done to this animal, if we break this pact, let it be done to us. Let us be torn asunder if either one of us breaks this promise. Do you understand what God was doing for Abraham? He was saying, Abraham, what you know, what you see, what you understand in your terms. Here's what I want you to understand my pact is greater than the pact between two people in your society, it's greater than a blood covenant. He said, I don't want to make a covenant with you. So Abram takes these animals, he divides them up, he lays them out. And then what happens, verse 11? The fowls come, the buzzards, the buzzard of human logic, the buzzard of fear, the buzzard of worry, the buzzard of doubt. Christian, here's what you, you better understand in the Christian life. I don't care if you're two years old in the Lord or 25 years old. Satan wants to attack your faith, and he'll do it by playing with your mind. It's amazing how few Christians truly live by faith because Satan knows how effective faith is and what a Christian can accomplish by faith. And Christians live limited and live limiting God because what the average Christian does does is limited by sight so if i can't see if i can't understand it we put god in a box uh, surely i'm not going to take this step i would look foolish i'm i'm going to be left hanging can you imagine abram at this point 85 you're still wandering around you're still waiting for a child you're still expecting god to give you a son Surely at this point, people were starting to make fun of him, saying, Abraham, how long are you going to wander around looking for a land and you don't even truly understand the boundaries? How long are you going to wait for a son knowing that your wife is barren? How long, Abram?" And he said, no, God's going to come through. God's going to keep his word. But here's what Satan does. He begins to play with your mind. And I've seen Christians, every time they go to take a step of faith, Satan begins to play with their mind. They're Christian. Every time they start to tithe, they back out. Because Satan's playing with their mind. They start to get involved in ministry. They start to get involved in winning. They start to help people. They start to grow. They start by faith. But as soon as the first buzzard comes out, now imagine Abram out there and he's divided up these animals. He's made the sacrifice. He's waiting on God. Now at this point, he should know God's timetable is not in line with his timetable because when he left Ur then when he left Haran, he's been waiting a long time for God to do something special on his behalf. So he should already know. God just doesn't move at my pace. So he gets up and he makes a sacrifice, and he begins to wait. There in the heat of the day, here come the buzzards. He grabs his stick, and he move to the side of the heifer, and he chased away the buzzards. And then they'd come to the left, they'd come to the right. And he's getting worn out and wondering, okay, God, at what point do you show up? Now remember something about this covenant. This covenant means these two men that were making the covenant, they were supposed to walk down the middle of that sacrifice, hand in hand, And symbolically, they were stating, if one of us fails in keeping this pact, let us be, as these animals are, torn asunder, divided in two. So Abram's serious. That's why he's serious about chasing the buzzards. That's why he's serious about keeping his part. But at some point, humanly speaking, who is too worn out... And too weak. And what's the Bible say about the circumstance? Suddenly he was engulfed by, here's the words that God used, a horror of darkness, verse 12. Lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Christian, did you know at some point in your life you're going to have a horror of great darkness come upon you? Now, I'm not talking about darkness. I'm thankful if you've escaped that, but don't think you'll be able to live your life on a sin-cursed planet and escape a horror. At some point, you're going to hear something, whether that's through the mouth of a doctor, a tragedy, maybe you will receive a phone call. I don't know what the detail will be, but you will have to deal with at some point in your Christian life with the horror of a great darkness overwhelming your faith and this man who appeared so strong at that point fainted. Aren't you glad when it comes to faith and God and him keeping his promises? God didn't need Abram to walk through that sacrifice with him. Abram needed God to visually confirm his path. God didn't have to do that. God said, Abram, I just want you to know. And guess what? Abram never made it through. Did you know we talked about the Abrahamic covenant, but in reality, Abram never even did his part. He fainted when he was supposed to walk through there. And the Bible says in verse 17 that a burning lamp passed between those pieces in the same day the Lord made a covenant with a man who had fainted and never even grabbed his hand and never walked through that. Sacrifice never repeated the words, never confirmed the pact. But God said, I don't even need you to do your part, I'm gonna do my part, I'm gonna give you a seed, I'm gonna give you that land. I'm not only gonna confirm it, but I'll make it happen whether or not you faint. Aren't you glad that God keeps his promise, does his part. Now, we know that there are rewards for obedience, and we know God's promises, many of them, are conditional. But aren't you glad despite what should be conditional, despite what blessing should depend upon our behavior, God still sees fit to bless us when we are undeserving of that blessing. I thank God for the blessings in my marriage and the blessing in my ministry and the blessing in my home, the blessing with my children, despite the fact that I deserve very little of any of that good that God showered upon me. Now, here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Abraham, in order to confirm that pact, was supposed to walk through hand in hand with God and repeat the details of that covenant. But he fainted. He was overwhelmed by the horror of great darkness. So God comes down, passes through that sacrifice, confirms his covenant with Abram. Now, it's actually a good thing. It's actually, need you to be with me here for a minute. It's a good thing that Abram fainted. Because remember, the second part of that pact, Abram, once you walk through hand in hand, symbolically you're saying, if I fell in my part, let me be torn asunder like the carcasses on this sacrifice. Yeah. Chapter 16, verse 1. Days later. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, I pray thee, go unto thy maid, It may be that I may obtain children by her. Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. He had just made a pact. Abram, if you fail in keeping... Abram, the seed that you're going to have will come from thy bowels. It'll be you. It'll be Sarah. You're the two that I'm going to use. Abram, are you with me on this? Yes, God. But how will I know? Let's make a pact. Let's make a blood covenant. You get the animals. You divide them. Let's walk together together. Abram, what happened? You never even walked with me. Abram, you didn't even survive the first 24 hours. Abram, you didn't have the strength to beat away the buzzards and walk with me through those sacrifices. Now, if you don't have enough strength to make it through the sacrifices, do you think he's going to have enough strength to make it through the next few years while still waiting on God? So in the previous chapter, we see him feigning physically. But in this chapter, we see him feigning spiritually. And sleeping with Hagar was not keeping his part of the pact. Abram, I'm glad you didn't walk down that lane with God, making that pact. When just weeks or months later, you are already... Failing to keep your part, your half, your promise. You know one of the biggest buzzards that you're going to have to deal with? The buzzard of discouraging voices. You know how many Christians have let discouraging voices mess up their faith? You are determined to do right. You're determined to live for God. You're determined to obey. But someone close to you who could have been closer to Abram than his own wife? Someone got his attention and said, Abram, let's think about this logically. Let's think about this for a minute. I'm not getting any, any younger. You're not getting any younger. It, none of this is going to change the fact that I am barren. None of this is going to change the fact that we are old. None of this is going to change the fact that we've been wandering around for decades waiting on God to keep his promise. And by the way, Abram, When you were out there making that sacrifice and Abram says, but listen, I just made a covenant with God. You did. You told me you fainted. Abram, you know the details of a covenant. You didn't walk with God through the middle of those carcasses. You didn't keep your part. You fainted. You don't even know if God passed through. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you experience, Abram? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. You messed up. You failed. But Abram, we got a plan here that'll work. You know in reality that Hagar your handmaid can also be your wife. Think about this logically. Now here's the problem. When you don't beat away the buzzards, you on your own can produce an Ishmael. You can't. The miracle of birth She's pregnant. Did you know when you produce it, for some reason, it's just not a joyous occasion. How many times have I seen Christians preach We're going to make a miracle happen. I wouldn't. Because you can't make the impossible happen. That's God's job. Pastor, I'm going to work and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to put this together and I'm going to make this happen. Yeah, you're going to make an Ishmael. Let's see how that works out. And too many Christians are creating Ishmael's and thinking that that is the result of a walk of faith. No, when you fail to beat away the buzzards, and I've seen it dozens of times in my time as a pastor, Christians are determined to make something happen. And because God is not running on their time frame and because they're... Impatient because they've heard someone with a good idea. They've sat down and said, okay, here's what we can make happen. Listen, from the time I was young, I thought God was going to lead me into evangelism. That was an Ishmael. Thank God that I surrendered to the voice of God, went to the mission field and experienced Isaac. Too many times we are sacrificing Isaac to... To create our own Ishmael because we have a great idea because we know we can make this happen. And we got three great brains together and, and in the end, three minds came together. And the result, Ishmael, tell me how happy the birth of that child was in that home. How much joy did it create? It was chaos from the very start. You know what, Abram? He didn't even know all the heartache that was ready to come forth because he had submitted himself to reasoning and logic and doubt and fear and discouraging voices. Abram, you have your son, your son. Not God's son. You created your own promised seed, not God's promised seed. Abram, your plan worked, but that wasn't God's plan. How many Christians are living with an Ishmael, convincing themselves that this is God's Isaac? Isaac is only something or someone that God can produce. Isaac means no person on this planet can create that. You take a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and produce a child. That has to be God. But you know how many 35-year-old women have given birth to children? You know how many 40-year-old women have given birth to children? There is no miracle involved in that. Christians, your faith will come under attack, and if you're not beating away the buzzards, Here's what you will do. You will formulate a plan and arrange your circumstances and put things together in such a way that in the end, you'll get your baby. You will get the baby that you created. And then you get all the consequences of that self-made baby. You can have a son. You better just make sure it's not an Ishmael. You can have a promised seed. You better just make sure it's not the one that you created, but it's the one that God planned. And Abram sat back and looked at the chaos that was going on in his home. Listen, faith will take the impossible and make it possible because it gets God involved. So Abram said, my circumstances are impossible. God is not moving. God is not working. God is not keeping his end of the bargain. God always does. So let's see what we can make happen. Young people, you you better be careful about your career. Because too many young people end up with a career called Ishmael. God's not even involved. There was no Isaac in that. You better be careful about a mate, your choice of mate. Here's what's happening. Young people, they're trying to force something and they'll force it and eventually they'll make it happen. But when it does happen five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, they realize, you know what I got? Ishmael, you made it happen. Congratulations. But God wants to give you an Isaac. We're trying to formulate our plans and and calculate and put things together. And you can. God will allow you to do that. But there will be nothing supernatural about it. There will be nothing spectacular. You'll be dealing with an Ishmael the rest of your life. Now, let's fast forward to the last few days of Abraham. Ishmael's had many children. Ishmael became a mighty nation. Ishmael was Abraham's, the result of Abraham's scheming. You know how many Christians scheme to produce what they're not allowing God to produce? You know why we have church growth in 2013 has nothing to do with God? Pastors are creating Ishmael's. The see what we can do, what we can arrange, what programs we can implement, what principles we can disallow, what scripture we can bypass so we can create something. And God said, go ahead, you can have an Ishmael. Young people getting in a hurry. I want to be in the ministry. And God said, you go ahead and start an Ishmael. Why don't you be patient and allow me to give you an Isaac? Ten years in the marriage, I have people coming up to me, sometimes five years, sometimes five months. Pastor, how did I end up with Ishmael? That was your choice, that was your doing. Why don't you allow God to do something supernatural and provide you a blessing. Well, I can't wait any longer. That's what Sarah said, that's what Abram said. Here's what you better not do in your walk of faith. You're surrounded by discouraging voices. And usually Satan attacks your faith if he can't do it through fear, if he can't affect you through logic and human reasoning and doubt. Here's usually how Satan wins out. He takes someone really close to you and makes them a discouraging voice. So about the time you're ready to do something by faith, that very person you love, that very person you rely on, that very person that's close and intimate, that very person that you've looked at is a stabilizer in your life. The very person that's walked with you by faith and helped overcome obstacles, that very person now uh, suggests, "Hey God, you better be careful. You better say, I don't want an Ishmael.'" I want an Isaac. I look back at the times in my life and my ministry. I look back at our darkest days. I, I, I look back at times in Argentina in the ministry when things just seemed dark and bleak and hopeless. And I look back at the times we were with Ashley in the hospital. I look back at times when ministry, there, there were just problems and headaches and heartaches that were overwhelming. I, I look back at times I dealt with horrors of darkness And every time, there was a voice. It wasn't the fear that had me in a stranglehold. It wasn't the doubt that caused me to slip. It wasn't even my human reasoning. And I'm analytical. It wasn't my logic that was leading me the wrong direction. Usually, it was the voice of Sarah. It was the voice of someone, sometimes pastor friend that was close, that I admired, that I had listened to, that had helped me. But suddenly there was a word that was contrary to the word of God. It caused me to doubt. Here's what I don't want. Life is too short. I don't want to spend my life dealing with an Ishmael that I created because I listened to the wrong voice at the wrong time. I thought, I'm going to produce a son. I'm going to provide a solution. I'm going to make something happen. And God says, better just wait. You better let me do this. You better understand, I am thy shield, Abram. I am thy exceeding great reward. And if you want a sign, let's make a pact. But before you faint, I just want you to know, this really doesn't depend upon you anyways. And even if you make an Ishmael, I'm going to give you an Isaac. But you're not going to ever be able to fully enjoy Isaac because you're always going to be paying the consequence of your Ishmael. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.